0: Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of What's Your Issue? This is episode number 15 on the E2KG Network. My name is Gasclis Davis, one of your co-hosts for tonight. Seated to my left, virtually speaking, is yeah. the other co-host for this evening, Mr. Stephen Laura. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm great. Good. It is a Monday. It is a balmy 17 flipping degrees here, predicted to go down to 4 degrees Fahrenheit later tonight. But it's okay for us because we're sitting here by the campfire about to have a fireside chat about the week in comic books. Excuse me. Uh, So we tonight are talking about the comic books that shipped last Wednesday, the 16th of January. If you've never watched an episode of what's your issue before, it is a spoilery comic book review show. So we will be getting into every nook and cranny and detail of the comics as we so choose. We may of our own volition choose to skip certain, details and maybe not necessarily reveal everything, but that's our choice. So if you haven't read the comics, I would suggest that you put this podcast down. Go read your books, because it's only two more days till new comic book day, and then come right back to this year's show and sit alongside us as we recant our opinions of the things that we read last week. We will do six comic books in the review segment, and then hit up the best thing that we read last week. One issue a piece, making our King of the Hill selections from our stack from last week. We will continue on through our honorable mentions, which would be those comic books that we would have scored an eight point zero or above on our ten point by half point scale. So we score comics on a scale of one point zero to ten, going by half point steps along the way, and then we will round out the episode with quick rundown of what books are in our poll list for the upcoming New Comic Book Day on this Wednesday so that you have some sense of what to expect next episode. Headlining tonight's episode, Detective Comics, number 996. Written by Peter J. Tomasi, Doug with Doug Monkey on pencils, Jaime Mendoza and Mark Irwin on inks and colors by David Barron. Letters by Rob Lay. Um, So read a lot of Batman <laughs> as we round out the end of the year and head into next year um, and so uh, we, we come into this we come into this issue coming off the events of uh, last week where we saw Wayne Manor itself assaulted um, Albert I mean Alfred and I'm sorry I'm getting the comic books mixed up and this is part of the problem we've got Batman, we've got Detective Comics, and we have uh, the Joker who laughs. Um, so, yeah, so last week in Detective, um, Leslie, helped me out, uh, Stephen, because you're much more familiar with this character than I am. Leslie...
1: Leslie Tompkins, yeah.
0: Leslie Tompkins was supposedly killed on screen. Alfred was attacked. We open up this issue with Damien having been called in, as Alfred suggested for Bruce to do uh, at the end of last episode last episode, last issue, um, to come in and repair his punctured lung. Um, I actually really liked the story in this issue, um, and I apologize. We actually opened with a nine-panel page spread of uh, many of Batman's rogues, uh, Tweedledee, Tweedledum, uh, Mr. Freeze, uh, Two-Face, and uh, many other denizens of Arkham, because he went there at the end of last issue to beat answers out of people. I love uh, Monkey's art in this. You have Batman striding through the center aisle in Arkham with a bloody glove. Um, Batman is rendered frequently in, in two different primary ways in terms of the cape, either with a cape that sits on the shoulders um, or with a cape that drapes directly down off the back of his neck. Monkey chooses to draw him in this issue with the cape um, extending from the bottom of the neck out towards the shoulders, which is my preferred look Um and so it looks really good. There's a really on story. There's a really touching moment here in the up in the opening sequence. Um, have you been reading Teen Titans, Stephen? Oh, Stephen, you there? Okay. So every once in a while, at the beginning of the podcast, Stephen's uh, PC sometimes freezes up in Hangouts, and so uh, he sometimes has to rejoin. So. Interestingly, uh, Damon is in a slightly different suit. It's a little less aggressive, I want to say, than I've seen in previous renders. Um, he looks a little more calm and relaxed and reserved, which may be this uh, arc that we've seen him cutting ever since like the uh, closing uh, months of the New 52, where his exposure to other heroes, heroes in the DC universe, um, and in this instance, his uh, recent role as the leader of the Teen Titans may have, I don't want to say softened him, but may have humanized him a little bit more. Um, and so there's a touching moment here where Bruce says that, you know, w- when this is over, the two of them have to talk and clear the air between them. However, like I said, we're reading a lot of Batman, and it's a little bit confusing to me because over in the pages of the Bane Batman book, of course, we just had an issue last week where Batman has been captured uh, and is, um, is beaten up by Pig. And then, but it's a pig who is far more effective in hand-to-hand combat than we would expect the actual villain pig to be. And uh, at the end, although Batman is delirious at that point, what he believes he sees and we see through his eyes, I guess, is um, uh, a person takes off the costume and that person is Damien. So so I don't know where quite we are in continuity or, or which Damien is the right one. Uh but uh, at any rate, this issue eventually brings Bruce into conflict into conflict with Henri Ducard. The two of them have a conversation. Um, Batman wondering if he's been the one who has been behind the assault on his life. Uh, they're attacked by some monster, which I have never seen before, but uh, a beast, which appears to be an aggregation of a lot of uh, Batman's uh, key enemies. Um, and out of this conflict, even though, uh, Henri Ducard also apparently dies. Batman comes to the realization that what is going on is that whoever this enemy is, they're systemically going through and removing, taking off the board, the people who were involved in the creation or transition, if you will, of Bruce Wayne to Batman. So we we have uh, Leslie Tompkins murdered. We have Alfred Uh, He attempted this thing attempted to murder Alfred. Um, We have the person who taught Bruce Wayne to, to hunt and to be a great tracker uh, also murdered. Um, We we get to a point where I have some problems with the art in this, and I had three gigs against it and uh, only two of them turned out to be valid. Um, And maybe one is still a a bit of a storytelling thing. So uh, Bruce takes off for the mountains of uh, China or North Korea, and he's in the snow suit, which we saw re- rendered recently in the main Batman book. Um, and there's some inconsistencies here, which are really surprising to me. Uh, For Monkey, is we have points where we see Batman with the uh, snow goggles on, and obviously these snow goggles they're they're kind of larger, almost Spider-Man costume like um, big uh, eye plates over his eyes, and In many panels, he he has them on and then he has them off, like in the next panel. And obviously, these are not a thing which you can quickly take on and off. Um, There is a point where uh, he's about to fight someone and he drops his utility harness. I thought it was actually his utility belt. And then in the the next panel, he still has his utility belt on. Um, And that's because the, the, the camera isn't pulled back sufficiently for you to see that it's just the harness. It's not the whole utility belt but all you can see is that it's a belt of some type with a bunch of little equipment packets on it. And that's, you could easily be misled. I think to believe that it is the utility belt. Um, And then there were some other little bits and pieces of, of, again, of the snowsuit where um, there's clearly some extra like padding and things on the snowsuit to help keep him warm, particularly in the shoulder area. And then he has them on in one panel. He has them off in the next panel and then they're back on. Um, the cape, as I mentioned, you know, flows down around the shoulders and then it looks different. So it, it's it's just in this one particular section. But I was like, ah, what, what happened here? He has he, he in the snowsuit. He has like a scarf around his neck. And then again, that is also gone. Um, but we can't we take out the issue. We had the issue um, very nicely with uh, Batman going to track down and find the original Miracle Man, who's the one who taught Bruce Wayne how to be a great escape artist which again we saw depicted uh and referenced in the most recent issue of batman so i really liked the story in this that tomasi is weaving um it's a lot of intrigue it's very much like you know the world's greatest detective kind of stuff uh i really love the character interaction between bruce and damien um and a little bit uh between bruce damien and and alfred even though alfred is knocked out um overall i really like how the story is structured again it's confusing to me because there is a person in detective comics who's attempting to deconstruct batman and a very similar thing is going on over in the main batman book so again what i I think overall at dc what i kind of sometimes lose clarity on is what is the strategy of their direction with particular characters do we need two stories that are so similar in ilk being told in two different Batman books? Um, and in some cases it hit points. It, there are points where it crosses and you're like, but it seems like they're acknowledging like the events of each comic, but in both Batman and detective's comic." So uh, at the end of the day, I gave this issue a 7.0. Um, what really kind of bothered me were the artistic and storytelling errors uh, in the mountain scene in North Korea. It was a thing where I'm just kind of plowing through the book, really enjoying myself. And then I hit those like three to five pages and I stop and I flip back and forth and I'm like, wait, what's going Like when, when I seeing things, did he have this part of the costume on in one pet? Like, so that was just really kind of jarring and shocked me out of it. Um, by the same token, there's a bit of a friction of effect from not being clear on like what story is being told between the multiple Batman books and, and which one, um, is the, I don't know if you will, the core story. Um, it, it, it's a very weird thing to have Peter Tomasi telling a story that is so similar to the story that Tom King is t- telling over in the Batman book. Um, and and in fact, in many ways, it's kind of unfolding in the same manner. So, uh, But it, it was enjoyable. I didn't dislike that I read this, but at the end of the day, like I said, I only settled on a, giving it a 7.0. Stephen, did you, I know you... you um, you may have been blanked out on comms there for a while. Uh, yeah, it was uh, just
1: the computer shut off. Sorry. Um, it was okay.
0: But uh, but did you have any uh, quick thoughts or opinions on uh, on, on Detective Comics number nine ninety six?
1: Yeah, um, I gave it a I gave it a seven seven point five. Okay. And I thought it was okay. It didn't. I didn't like it as much as last issue, and. Uh, the conversation with with Batman and Harry Ducard was kind of weird because he didn't actually admit anything. He did. He said that he has nothing to do with with um what's going on with Alfred or or who's hunting him down. But it seemed like he didn't totally admit it. Like he just was hesitant about admitting what was going on and. It was just a weird conversation they had there. Didn't that didn't go out so smoothly? And then um, Batman going to to the sensei. That's from I heard from I noticed it's the character from Batman the animated series. And uh, yeah, it's the first time he's been on the comic books, which I caught that in a news article. And um. The conversation was very brief. It wasn't very... It wasn't developed. It was kind of rushed at the end. Yeah, it was... This book, This issue wasn't as ga- engaging as the other one. I don't know. I just didn't enjoy it as much.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think I kind of felt the same way. It was very... The, the opening pages I felt were very strong and then it started to and, I, and, I, and again I always love when we get to see like the you know in disguise Bruce Wayne um looking completely differently from uh from from the way he looked and I can't remember who, there was a well I guess it's like a Sherlock Holmes stick um is w- what it always reminds me of um but then uh like I said it just kind of I, I don't didn't necessarily fully unravel but it just didn't middle game and end game were not as strong, I felt, as the opening. So, uh, so Stephen, can you talk to us about Titans number 33? I'm very interested to hear your opinions on, on this since I also read that comic.
1: Um, yes yeah, so... Wait. Like... Um, Alright, it's so the first one. I was, like, looking for it. Um, it's... Titans number 33, written by Dan Evanet. Art is by Bruno Redondo. Color is his High Fly and Letters is Dave Sharp. Um so yeah, this this issue is, is going from the last issue where the the Titans decide to go to um this alternate um um, earth called the unearth which is an earth that was created by some some new metahuman and uh, they go in there to find Raven's soul self and they fight a whole bunch of demons um, there's also some conversations with um, uh one of the car I um, uh, it's one of the characters that, um, that, I, don't, I don't know his name, but he's kind of, yeah, like the, he looks like a Malekith type of character. I'm trying to figure out what his name is. I don't, I don't know what his name is. Um, and whatever, he's talking to Mother Blood and, um, he also has conversations with the creator of the universe as well the meta the human that created on earth. they had some conversations and there's also a, like an a uh, an apprentice that the the like some woman with a that's like pretty much had a as a big stature like a big body build. I forgot her name too, but um he's talking about how wonderful her character design is and he didn't even create her and he's intrigued by her design and wondering where she comes from. They have conversations and, um, after the Titans, uh, fights the demons, um, they end up fighting. They end up doing, uh, And yeah, I think they just have some more conversations and with and Rubel Rebel is actually um helping them out, even though he's in Earth, he's actually helping them out with a with a book in his hand and they try to look for the soul self and they end up reaching to fighting the soul, I mean to finding the soul self at the end when they fight a whole bunch of more demons coming after them and they end up they end up being knocked down and they find out uh the one of the mysterious women that was with uh the creator of the universe ends up being raven's soul self actually and she looks I don't know she looked like she's either mind controlled or possessed it or some type of evil that's on her. So um I gave this issue uh, 8.5. I really did enjoy it. It was it was some nice conversations and I did I did like the battle scenes with uh with the Titans fighting the demons and I did enjoy the the quips that, um, Kyle Rhino was actually, um, saying, I actually liked, the. Uh, yeah, I, I really was talking to their, like, talking, like, talking their language and Beast Boy says, uh, Kyle Shore is developing bad habits. And I thought that was pretty funny what Beast Boy said, but for some reason they didn't find it so funny. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was the humor was really funny in here, and I really saw it in Kyle Reiner. It was pretty nice to see that, and I don't know the com- the conversations that they had were pretty enjoyable, and it was a very fun and entertaining book. So I gave it an eight point five. Yeah,
0: very cool. So I gave a score that wasn't too far off from yours. I gave it a seven point five. But I did have some specific issues with it, uh, particularly in the opening. Um, for some reason, I'm having a hard time. Finding, uh, so there's a point, uh, there's a there's a lot of um, uh, dialogue in the opening where uh, Kyle Rayner, you know, asks, hey, is this a typical day for you guys? And, and or... He says, oh, this is really cool. And Beast Boy was like, ah, well, this is just an average day for the Teen Titans. I'm like, Kyle Rayner is a member of the Green Lantern Corps. He has been the, the White Lantern, of which there's only ever been and can be, only be one, as far as I understand. Like, Kyle Rayner has seen plenty of stuff, right? Like, I get that maybe yeah. he's never particularly traveled to this individual dimension but the notion of him being on the Titans and the Titans treating him like he's the new kid on the block doesn't really ring very true.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I agree with that part. I just ignored it because it was <laughs> the only flaw I kind of did see in there.
0: Right. Right. And then, uh, Miss Martian's character, um, in, in, in addition to just being drawn far more mature than she usually is, uh, by this artist, um, Abbott has done something where he has seemingly kind of aged her and and kind of pointed her a little bit more in the direction of like a a John Jones where she is much more focused and kind of hardened. Um, And I don't mind that, but it's weird when like just an issue or two ago, she was kind of portrayed as being at the same maturity level as the Titans. And now it's almost like she's, her voice is being written so that she would actually be in that role of, of, of being the Justice League member who was assigned to have oversight of the Titans. Um, so I found that kind of a weird kind of pivot with her character. It's, it just seems like two issues ago, or over the last few issues, she's been written at, like, the same age as the Titans, and it seems like in this issue she's being written with a slightly older voice. Um, and that kind of, uh, you know, it, 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 it took me a little bit uh, off guard. Um but and, and and for those reasons, I mean, in, you know, specifically, I mean, that's where it it dropped down below that eight level that I kind of feel like I reserve um, for uh, you know books that are like in that extra special extra, uh, extra special category. But other than that, I, I really liked it as well. I like the twist with um, with the 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 leader of the evil dimension battle core being Raven, um, and and so somehow there's two corporeal representations of raven yeah but, but then there's also the third one that is her that's that's non-corporeal which is her soul um
1: and then yeah and and then i also i kind of yeah that my... they confuse me that there's one that's locked up and there's one that's this leader of those demon things and then there's raven
0: yeah and I also didn't really like the Donna Troy line about like uh and you know some of the Titans actually called her on it of like oh well now with you know now with Ky- what I what did she say with now with Kyle Rayner and Miss Martian in the fold like we're you know now we're a powerful team and just like
1: Oh yeah she kind of slammed co- steel. completely like dissing <laughs> and Steel got offended by that. Yeah. yeah
0: and I mean I mean that was kind of neat but I, I, I guess what was confusing about it from a storytelling perspective is We've been, you know, first of all, Miss Martian has been there. It's not like she's a new addition to the team. Um, yeah. But the other thing is we've been painting this picture of Donna Troy kind of growing into this position of leadership. And, and and maybe it was done to show that even though she's growing into that position, she's still fallible. But, I mean, that's just not, it's kind of just not what you say to your team when they're on a war campaign, like, in another dimension, right? It's just to say, oh, well, th- thank goodness these two members are here to rescue the rest of the rest of you schlubs so um it was i don't know the whole thing i can see
1: where you're coming from i i i did i do i um i do remember it now now that you mentioned it and i do agree with you those points i just still somehow enjoyed even though there was some conversation flaws
0: yeah, and, and yes, and overall, I absolutely enjoyed the the, the a seven point five for me is that is that book where you know, if you just tweaked one or two things you'd, you'd be up in the eight uh, category. Uh, so let's move on and talk about Red Hood Outlaw number thirty. Um, I will say a book that I was slightly happier with um, than Titans. Uh, so here in, in this issue we have uh, Jason Todd uh, proceeding on into Mexico trying to fulfill the pact that he and Roy Harper had made, uh, Roy having uh, passed away in Heroes in Crisis while he was in rehab. Um, Red Hood has been on the trail of uh, this gang who's producing some synthetic drug. It has taken him to some small town uh, out in the Midwest, probably, um, where he runs into Batwoman, who has not really been seen from since she rode off into the Sunset. Uh, with uh, with her fiance Maggie Sawyer, um, but uh, you know, there's all this discussion of various people that he's running into, attempting to take him back to Gotham. Uh, what was really neat in this issue is we we got to get a sneak, a bit of a peek at where Bizarro and Artemis are. Um, the two of them having been sucked into another dimension um at the end of the uh red hood and the outlaws uh series of arcs and and what was the beginning of the red hood outlaw uh arc uh, i love Bizarro in here with the uh, with the beard um in uh in, in the close cut crew cut almost like a mohawk um in a in the uh in the superman like tank top t- shirt i thought that was pretty cool um he is drawn well i'm not really wasn't really pleased with how um, Artemis was rendered. Um, by the way, the talent on this uh, writer Scott McNeil, uh, art by Pete Woods, colors by Rex Locus, and letters by Troy. Uh, I, I, I have Petri written down. I think it's actually, uh, I think it's slightly different. I just want to give him the right credit, uh, Troy Petri. Um, so, uh, so again, uh, Jason Todd continues his trek down into. Mexico, he finally runs into, I don't know that they ever tell us this character's name, but he's some kind of weird mix between Batman and Asriel and the Blue Falcon. Um, it's it's a very Batman-esque motif uh, costume. Um, but, but strangely enough, we, we all think that this has been brewing for the last few issues, and We all think that we're finally going to get to see the the Royal Rumble between these two. Uh, But what actually happens is, number one, this guy paints himself as actually a a fan, a groupie of Jason Todd's, who actually wants him to go back to Gotham um, because he feels like Gotham needs Jason Todd. Uh, But then we also have this guy uh, immediately get taken out uh, by Bricks. Um, there's a lot of pages of, of Jason, like, wandering through the jailhouse then and uh, discussing the mystery that's been going on. Um, and then the weird thing is is that then at the end of the book, he w- who he finds in there is uh, Bunker, who, as far as I know, the only time I've seen Bunker was at the very end of, the I guess, the New 52 run of teen titans yes um, i remember that so yeah it's and so he was in with you know with with, with the titans at the time um right before that we cut over to to rebirth a very bonner character i don't know again that he's been seen that much um and then we have him run into who has been painted as the whole mastermind of this whole campaign uh a villain named solitary who um, whose either head moves very rapidly from left to right, or who actually has three faces. Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, this whole arc of Jason Todd's life started with him trying to track down and determine the story behind his father a, 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 a path that was kind of rolled out at his feet uh, by the penguin, and then uh determines that the penguin was responsible for his uh, downfall. Interestingly enough, when we catch up to this character sol to this character solitary, he calls Jason son. Now Jason just quickly brushes that off and 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 doesn't really even pay attention to it or or acknowledge it. Um, but but I'm wondering if Lubdell is going somewhere with that. It would be very interesting if this were actually Jason Todd's father, who had become this criminal mastermind um, of the underworld, and I'd be curious to see how that impacts Jason and and how he handles it. So it it was a very weird book at this point though, uh, in my stack, I had read, I guess I had read, um, (laughs) I, I guess, I guess I hit this about midway through my stack and other than black widow, number one, I hadn't really read anything that had really grabbed me. And so while a large part of this comic is, and also art, art overall this week was not nearly as strong as it was last week. I actually felt like this was a week of like, I don't want to say poor art, but, uh, but, but more problematic art. Um, And, uh, and, and actually at, at this point, when I read this comic, at least I was pretty pleased with the work of, um, of Pete Woods. So, Uh, So, like I mentioned, I wound up giving this comic uh, an 8.0, despite the fact that there's a large passage where he's just wandering through the jail, um, and we we leave on a slightly confused note, not really sure exactly where the story is going to head. I was also a little bit disappointed by um, his interaction with this guy who's been tracking him for the last several issues, again, kind of setting us up to believe that this was going to be the big fight, Um, and then the guy... Again, being a proponent of Jason Todd's and also quickly being taken out by a bunch of flying bricks. So, Stephen, did you read this issue?
1: I did. It's just, I don't know, but I'm not really liking this series anymore. Um, since uh, since um, Artemis and um, Bizarro left the book, I've not been enjoying Brotherhood and the Outlaws, and I've been constantly every time it comes out whether i should just pick it up or not and i didn't have to pick up this one and i um i didn't enjoy it that much i gave it a 6.0 it's just i don't i don't like the art from pete woods i think it's very undetailed <laughs> and kind of sloppy for me that's just my opinions so uh but um I I do like the plot twist that at the end that uh that I think Red Hood's be fighting his actual father. I think Solidary's probably Jason Todd's father, and I I am glad to see Bunker around any um around now because uh the last time we saw him was in that Teen Titans series, and he's not appearing anywhere else after that. He's been very he's in combo glimbo he was in combo glimbo for a very long time and it's like no one knows what happened to him until now
0: very cool very cool um yeah there's something i was gonna say about it i i wonder again so i will again go back to a book that we both read that when i look at it i I have different feelings about the book and, and you have different feelings about the book but what really comes out of it is 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 my question of what is DC comics doing with this character in their universe? And and quite honestly, I feel like I'm starting to get the sense, like the only mission, right. That the creative team has been given for Jason Todd is just keep him out of Gotham. Right. It's like there's a, there's this thing going on with the sidekicks and there's this thing going on with repositioning members of the Batman family. And I kind of feel like it's, we don 't really care what you guys do, just write stories that make sure, that keeps him out of Gotham, and I 'm like, well, at a certain point that's going to kind of hamstring the creative team from maybe doing things that they want to do, uh, and we're going to wind up getting some kind of contrived content, but I mean it is what it is uh, so let's move out of the big two. interestingly enough, we are not talking about any Marvel books, uh, at least in the review segment this, week. yeah. Um, everything from here on out is all tier, th- tier two and tier three publishers and below So why don't we start off that part of the review segment by you talking to us about shadow man number 11 now This is the is this the final issue.
1: Yeah, as a final issue of the series. Um, I Do want to give a shout out to uh, Greg Caxman is a guy I've Been friends with for a long time. He's working for Valiant now as a marketing director and I'm happy for him to get the job there. Um, I just um the I'm not gonna talk about 11 is it is from Valiant. It's written by Andy Andy Diggle, um, Renaldo Gu- Guendez, and Eric Battle. Was they both there's two artists in this book, Renaldo Guendez and Eric Battle. Um, the colorist is Yuseli's Um Ariola. And the letter is um, Simon Boland and this issue is um, you see that uh Shadowman and his girlfriend Alisa are continue fights um, Sandria, which is dark sister and they're fighting and they um they actually do get to defeat her and trap her in the dead side world and they grab Dark um Dark's bones and they uh they try to hide the bones in some secret facility away from the Brotherin, the brethren, which is a organization that's trying to look for Dark's bones to use it for something. And um they end up tricking Shadow Man and Alisa. Because they thought that um, they were in the facility, and they met up with some some man that that could protect the darks bones, and they find out that they weren't. It was just a trick from the be- brethren to try to get the dark bones, and uh, they shadow man is ends up fighting um, dark bones. He he gets out of dead side, and. Uh, he ends up fighting the um brethren, but for some reason the fight cuts off. He the fight doesn't even finish in the book. And it just jumps forward to Baron Samity talking to uh Shadow Man. So about how he helped them escape or something. And he Shadow Man was thankful for that. And he's wondering why he helped him. And Baron Sammy doesn't even answer the question and just ends the book right there. Um I don't know, but I gave this book a, like a five point oh because it just bothers me that they didn't even finish the story in here. It's just you see him f- gonna get ready to fight the villain, and okay, are in the future.
0: Oh, okay, all right, good, good. well know you, you froze up for a second so I wasn't sure if you're uh
1: if you were dropping the call or not <laughs> no I was talking what <laughs> did my voice still record it?
0: I I not not on my end on on OBS but uh, it, quite frequently uh, sometimes like people on the other ends of call on hangouts are, are fine and YouTube gets it okay um, oh okay so, yeah yeah
1: well, I mean, I'll just repeat myself um but yeah I i gave it a 5.0 because i didn't like that the story cuts off when shadow man is fighting about the brother be- like the leader of the brother he just has a conversation with him and they're gonna end up getting ready to fight and it just cuts off and it just goes fast forward to a different point of time and him talking to another villain of shadow man like shadow man and baron sam and are talking to each other and it just threw me off and like what the hell is going on here and I went to go check if I skipped any pages, and I didn't. And it's just, it was a weird cutoff point. And it's just like, yeah. okay, you didn't even finish the storyline. This is terrible. Yeah, and so
0: yeah. I feel, I feel <laughs> completely like if, if, if you want your comic to earn a 5.0 or in that vicinity of score, then make, make your comic, make the reader wonder whether or not they missed something. Like, you're like, Am I getting gaslamp? Like, like, like? uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't skip a page or something.
1: Yeah, Um, you look back and it's like, okay, there was a cutoff point, right? Right. And And I didn't like that. It was just
0: yeah. It makes you feel like it's you, right? It makes you feel like it's you, and you're like, hold on a second. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. That's really interesting. So, uh, okay, so Valiant, not necessarily hitting it out of the park in recent months, which is really weird with their whole like movie deal and everything that i mean i remember a couple years ago that like valiant was was
1: it was great back
0: on all four cylinders right
1: yeah yeah and now it's just it was just falling apart and i was hoping that because they said they're gonna come with a new relaunch with a bunch of books like punk mobile and um tony harta and some they got relaunch um what is this?
0: Man, Man
1: of War? Is no, not Man? Man of War. It was um the other one. Uh <laughs> I blood, can't even think shot? about it. Huh? Bloodshot? They already they already relaunched Bloodshot. Yeah. It was um it was one of the internal internal warrior. Oh yeah, like yeah The Immortal yeah, yeah. guy. Yeah. Um Yeah, and they gotta relaunch Rai, which I'm hoping to be okay. too. So I'm hoping I don't know, but I think after Shadow Man, it be I'm not gonna be reading Valiant for quite a while. Yeah. I'm I'm picking up Livewire because that one just started and not sure how I feel about it yet. But oh man, this I don't know, it's just Valiant's not doing it for me anymore. I just
0: yeah, I think they not doing it as much. I think they unfortunately got, got big and then hit that point where they felt compelled to have eventitis, which is unfortunate because like th- the coolest thing to me about the Valiant universe was they were able to tell great stories and they were able to interweave their character stories without having to do events, you know, because this was the point where between DC and Marvel, I was getting event fatigue. So, uh, but now it seems they're like on the on the negative, you know, on the downward swing of that whole thing and not able to kind of pull themselves out
1: and head I in didn't. the
0: direction like they used to.
1: I didn't like the Shadow Man was fighting Sandra because um, they had a good relationship in previous books and it just seems weird that. They didn't have a great relationship in this one and I think he could have told her that someone is after the Dark Bones when you gotta hide them but for some reason they didn't he didn't tell her anything about that and they just started arguing It's just the conversations didn't flow right it was kind of out of character for me right right so let's
0: uh, step over and start talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Shredder in Hell number one how did you enjoy
1: that one Steven? I enjoy this very much. I like this this one more than the other two. Um, the Shredder in Hell number one is um is is from IDW. It's um written um the the is written um by Mateus Santolaco. And apparently he's also the artist and the colorist for this book as well. And there's another colorist. There's apparently two colorists. It's, um is yeah, Mar- Matt, Mateus Santoloco and Marcelo Costa. And the letters is Sean Lee. That's about it. Um so yeah, Shredder Shredder in Hell is about Shredder is in hell. He's apparently being resurrected by uh, I think um what is it uh kasune is actually trying to resurrect him i think she wants to use him to fight splinter for the foot clang but he doesn't he doesn't get resurrected real quickly he's still stuck in hell and um he um meets up with um his actual like original like um, version of himself that was before he got reincarnated. It was like the his original um persona, because apparently in this universe, reincarnation exists. And um, before he got reincarnated, his previous um persona is was fighting him, and after he he's fighting him, all of a sudden he sees um splinter and Splinter talks to him and he Splinter is trying to um I don't know I noticed that Splinter is trying to um make him into a good person and he's he's trying to like tell him that you were controlled by the dragon god you need to stop this and forget about what the dragon god wants stop trying to be uh because If you go on the path of the dragon god, you're gonna want to end the world, and that's what you really don't want to do. He's trying to convince him to go on the other side, i notice. noticed, and he refuses. And um, all of a sudden, uh, Splinter turns into an actual like mouse thing, and he uh goes with Sh- um, Shredder. He first talks to his wife and and he mentions that he still loves, um, I think Spencer's wife, but he doesn't see her. And uh, so Spencer decides to turn into a little mouse, and he goes on Shredder's shoulder, and they fight some more, um, like um Foot clang demons, and all of a sudden they have they end up running into, like, some evil demon versions of um, the Ninja Turtles. And that's where it cuts off. Um, I give this a 9.0 because I really did like the art. It was pretty interesting. And the storytelling was was pretty good. I liked the conversations with Shredder and um, Splinter. They had a very interesting conversation. I... I thought that was interesting that this whole entire time that the uh, reason why Shredder acts so bad, um, kind of evil is because he's he's <clears throat> apparently he's influenced by the Dragon God, which I didn't know about. I thought that was pretty interesting and I'd like to know, learn more about the Dragon God and see why Kusune, because Kusune does mention it and apparently that's her father, the Dragon God and I want to know why is this dragon God influencing Kusune and Shredder into um, taking over the world and destroying everything that's on there. So I want to see what happens and see if Shredder actually gets resurrected.
0: <clears throat> Very cool. Very interesting. Um So,
1: I didn't give a score. I I gave a 9.0. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. I will come back to that. Um, So, uh, the final book in the reviews segment is uh, Albert Einstein, Time Mason, number four, by Action Lab (laughs) Entertainment. So, um, as you would expect, this uh, has a little bit of a – League of, of Extraordinary Gentlemen kind of feel to it. It's a uh, period piece, but revisionist history where um, the supposition is that Albert Einstein uh, is the member of uh, of a core of time-traveling, I don't know what you want to call them, supervisors or overseers, and his job is to make sure that things unfold in the timeline correctly. Um, one of the things that's presented in this is that the Germans – um, in the future are uh, very close to um, to being able to do a nuclear bomb. Um, and so uh, what apparently the Council of Time Lords, or whatever it's called, uh, charged Albert to do was to catch this uh, German officer before he could get back with some critical components of the things that the, uh, that the villains need. Um, so this is normally the kind of thing that's a little bit kind of right up my alley. So, uh, I love period pieces. I love, um, kind of telling histories where we kind of go through and like dork with one thing in the timeline. Um, but this book I felt was really, uh, rough. So, and I know Action Labs Entertainment is a really small outfit. Um, but I mean I really the the art style is very much uh, in the style of a nineteen 1970s comic I feel like um, and it didn't just didn't really appeal to me um, there's a lot of cartooniness in this and maybe um, uh, maybe there there has to be but um, I found it really difficult to, to find myself um, attached to any um, of, of the art as it was rendered, um, with the characters. Uh, so, so like I said, um, the book just kind of sort of has problems in kind of its antiquated approach, which I I guess is a stylistic choice and a thing that they're trying to invoke, but I just felt like, um, I just wasn't as interested uh, in the story. And the big thing, I guess the really big problem I have with the whole thing is that, um, you know, you have you have the notion of Albert Einstein um, and and some other bits and pieces, and it, it 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 doesn't feel smart. It feels just like there was a, and there's a ton of pop culture references in this as well. Um, I don't feel like the Albert Einstein they portray is the Albert Einstein that was written in history. He he's much more so of a MacGyver, um, which is fine. But I'm like, that's that's not what Albert Einstein should be, right? Albert Einstein should be presented as one of the foremost minds in physics I um, mean that's what he should be bringing to bear um, in this it's it, it's just written to feel a little too much like a Robert Downey jr a um, uh, Sherlock Holmes kind of riff uh, and so uh, so at the end of the day I wound up giving this book a a, a 4.0 out of 10 um, and it wasn't necessarily bad it just didn't Capitalize on anything, and it felt like it just traded on the Albert Einstein name, um, and, and, and the shtick of the plot, uh, to make readers feel like it was coming off good. Uh, but I, it, it to me, it came off decidedly of kind of very flat, uh, unfortunately. So, um, so that is going to do it for us for the reviews segment. Stephen, did you have any questions or anything else that you were going to bring up about any of the books that we talked about in review?
1: Um, I just thought that was funny when you mentioned that Alfred Anson was acting like Tony Stark. As like, it doesn't work. I mean, Robert well, Downey Jr.?
0: Yeah, well, not, not Tony Stark. <laughs> I, was, I, mean, I meant to say Robert Downey Jr. and Sherlock Holmes. It, it feels very... Oh, yeah,
1: annoying. you did say that. I just... I, mean, I said Tony Stark by accident. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, I was I was definitely uh, uh, rambling and, and trying to hold on to uh, fighting through the vestiges of a wave of sleep, so I could have very well upset Tony Stark. Um, but, yeah, it just... It feels like it's a Sunday afternoon like it's a Sunday morning newspaper comic strip um and 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 maybe that's the effect that they were going for I just it didn't feel like it really came off oh. very well so uh talk to me about the best thing that was obviously uh actually it was the absolute worst thing that I read last week unfortunately <laughs> so talk to me about the best thing that you read
1: last all right week. um the best thing I read was Jessica Jones purple daughter number one which is an Marvel Comics Stitch Original. Um it's written by Kelly Thompson. The penciler is Matea DeLewis. Um the letterist is Corey um Petit, and the graphic designer is Carter Slow. And for some reason they have a graphic designer, but they don't have a colorist. I don't know. So I decided to put that there. Um so yeah, this. This story is it's coming. It continues off from the previous Marvel Comics original, which is, is had it was Kelly Thompson and the same artist as well, Matilda Lewis. Um, it's it continues from the story where Jessica Joan finds out that her daughter has um she's purple for some reason, like she has the powers of Purple Man. Um. Uh, um Jebediah Kilgrave and they're, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage are shocked and they don't feel comfortable finding out their daughter has some type of um she's she has purple skin and she looks like she has the effects of um Kilgrave and they she goes through a lot of emotions with Luke Cage and um Apparently, Luke Cage decides to uh decides to walk off and give himself some breathing room. Like he decides to depart from Jessica Jones and give him, I guess, give time to himself. And in the also in the book, uh, Jessica Jones decides to um try to look for Kilgrave's daughter, um. Yeah, he find he she finds her and then she tries to drown her and yeah, Jessica Jones grabs her and tries to drown her and as she uh, wakes her up and and he tries to talk to her. Um, Asking her if 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 she knows what the hell's going on with her daughter. Does she have anything to do with this? And she finds out that the um Kilgrave's daughter has really has nothing to do with this. She doesn't know what the hell's going on. So um what is it? Uh she does tell her that she should um go to uh some counseling and like they she takes her to some counseling of where other people um have had experiences with kill grave and and yeah they come talk together it's like when people deal with um alcohol or drug abuse yeah they go in a circle and talk with other people that experience the same thing so she takes her to that place and uh they talk about dealing with the experiences they had with Killgrave and how it affected them and for some reason Jessica Jones doesn't feel so good talking about it and she knows that this one person in there that's she said that is fake that she doesn't she's not telling the truth that she's lying that she had any experiences with with Killgrave and they have an argument and she gets Jessica Jones ends up getting kicked out and Jessica Jones ends up talking to... She ends up um, walking off and she ends up seeing the girl in the in the alley and she tries to run after her and tries to um, argue with her a little bit more. And I think Jessica Jones decided to not argue with her anymore because it just didn't help. And... Um, and Jessica Jones ends up talk going to a bar and talk with Captain Marvel Carol Danvers and they have a conversation and then and the they see a, a news report on TV talk about that the person that Jessica Jones just spoke to in the counseling center had just killed herself and she had committed suicide like right, jumping off the building and Jessica Jones thought that was weird because this girl that she was fighting um, apparently had powers and she flew off when she was arguing with Jessica Jones in the alley and she was surprised that she ended up killing herself. And, um, so yeah, uh, they, um, I'm trying to remember what's going on in the book. Um, so, yeah, um, it's just um, by the end of the book. Um, um, but it, the book does cut off eventually after Jessica Jones finds out about the, the news report about the girl committing suicide. Um it cuts off to like the purple children talking to some mysterious figure. They don't show the person who who, who they're talking to, and it's continue is to be continued. It cuts off there. Um, this um issue, I gave it a nine point five. I really do like the storytelling here. It's pretty interesting to see Jessica Jones and Luke Cage go through a lot of. Emotions about their daughter looking a certain way—it really affects them. And I thought that was very compelling to see to see that. And I did I did feel for them going through this um, stage of of how they what they see with their daughter. And the art is very well done. I really do like the art that Matea de Lewis is. Drawing here, um, is very well detailed. I never seen an art book where art like like as detailed as this book. Um, so yeah, it's it's a pretty great book. I really enjoyed it, and I think Kelly Thompson's doing a very good job on writing Jessica Jones. I just wish that uh, Luke Cage didn't have to depart away from Jessica Jones. I don't know. That's a good thing for Osbun to do to take a break with his take a break of his girlfriend me his wife if he has a daughter i don't think it's a good solution but i noticed in the book i mean the it says the next issue you do see luke cage and jessica jones on the front cover so i guess he does end up coming back i don't know the writer i thought the writer was gonna get rid of luke cage because she probably wanted to separate it's like I guess because this is just, this is a Jessica Jones' book, she didn't want to f- probably feel contrived to actually write Luke Cage since they are a couple now. But I don't. I I do like seeing superheroes when they are a couple as she being together and actually try to have a life together. I really don't like it when they try to separate the couple even though they're like. I don't know, for some reason, writers have a difficulty writing characters that are with someone. I've noticed in, in a lot of books. But um, but I've actually enjoyed this book a lot, and I'm hoping to see more of it. Yeah.
0: All right, very cool. Uh, for me, the best thing that I read last week, amazingly and surprisingly wound up being Justice League Dark number 7 this is a comic that is not firmly in my wheelhouse. Uh, it's interesting, but I guess my feeling about, uh, justice league dark is that it's been too dark. um, and doesn't really like always fit within DC's continuity, but, uh, but this issue, uh, written by James C in the fourth with pencils by Alvin Martinez, Buena, uh, inks Raul Fernandez colors, Brad Anderson and Rob lay on letters. Um, this book, the thing that that makes it stand out to me is, it is a really awesome and well written horror comic. Uh, this uh, issue features the Man Bat um, sitting at a uh, sitting at a nightstand, uh, going over uh, notes that he's been taking, and I guess stories that he's been making up um, about this demonic threat to mankind called the Other Kind, who have apparently already made their incursion. Um, into this dimension and are operating, uh, uh, you know, basically the the theory is that they're going around trying to make new horror stories that people will um, see and hear about, and then wind up going back and telling uh, others because apparently the, the, the entrenchment of these characters um, in our dimension um, increases when they become the nightmares of residents of this dimension. Um, And so, the comic is kind of written like a good old fashioned pulp fiction tales of the crypt kind of story. It's it's these chapters of of short stories that are like five pages a piece. Um, and there's uh, oh, I think only in the last one are actually any members of the Justice League there. It was awesome to get to see the uh, the see uh, the agents of shade, um, so led by Frankenstein, um, which. Uh, the, the small amount of them that I've read, I think it's a pretty awesome concept and those characters come off really well. Um, but uh, uh, they, you know, they, so, um, so yeah, so it was very, it was very cool seeing them. Um, it's absolutely amazing art. Uh, so what uh, Alvin Martinez, really the whole creative team is doing, um, it's just a bang up uh Instance of really incredible creature art that um, that I that I hope winds up you know being in a comic. That's I mean I know everybody knows about Justice League Dark number seven. I just don't know how many people are reading it. Um,
1: Yeah, I'm actually reading it. I remember. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, and
0: and I know you are. It's just it's it's always historically been kind of one of those just barely above niche factor in terms of sales um and so I, I i the creature art in this book is really good i'm hoping that this creative team or some pieces of it uh, are able to to take that talent elsewhere um if justice league dark ever comes to an end so um it, so i really like how uh, Titty titian the fourth Tells all these little vignettes of horror stories. They're they're very well paced and plotted, um, and like I said, uh, the entire creative team's art uh, along with it is just top notch and pretty amazing. So I think I wound up scoring this uh, an, an eight point five. There were uh, several comics. There were three comics specifically in my stack that all kind of wind up wound up tying for an eight point five. So I could have um, gone with either one of them. Uh, the other comics that were in consideration were uh, Fantastic Four number 6 and uh, and The Batman Who Laughs number 2. At the end of the day, I wound up going with this one because I just felt like it was tonally um, just perfect. So, uh, Stephen, talk me through and run me down your oh, honorable... I want to talk... oh, sorry, yeah, go ahead.
1: I want to talk about Justly Dark. Yeah. I did read it, and I actually enjoyed it, too. Like, I gave it 9.0. I did like the whole it did feel like tales in the Crypt Just thinking about it, when uh, Man Bat was talking with, with the book, and and um, I did enjoy seeing um, I Vampire Andrew Bennett because I haven't seen him for a very long time since his book came out, and he, I know he was in just, Justly Dark briefly in the pr- previous volumes, but he didn't have much um screen um screen time in there, and. I'm glad that I was able to see more of him, and it was a pretty interesting story. I did like it a lot. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I felt it was pretty top, top-notch myself as well. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and run me down your list of honorable mentions from
1: last week? Um, my honorable mentions is Black Widow number one, which was a story where Black Widow. Um, with Captain America, going after a fake Captain America and taking him down. And she also goes off in Majapur and meets someone there to help. Um, I gave it an 8.0. Ironheart number 2, I gave it an 8.5. It was about Ironheart discovering kids being kidnapped. It's also like Monster Morales was going through. is to, um, Kids being kidnapped and being used for something. But uh, we find out is one of um, Ironheart's longtime friends that was in school when she was younger that helped her from being bullied. Apparently she was she's apparently captured by some type of villain. Um, I gave a uh, Man without fear number three at 8.0 it deals with Daredevil being handicapped not being able to walk and he talks to the defenders to try to get him out of it and they also deal with a past story with full killer. Um, I thought it was an interesting com- uh, mental thing that Matt Merck is going through with fear. Um, I mean, Marvel Comics Presents number one, I gave it an 8.0. It deals with a story with War Rain and some type of World War II past. And they also have a, a story with Namor and the Hiroshima, which I thought was interesting. Yes, also have a Captain America story with a little girl and her and riding up her motorcycle and trying to convince a mother to in- appreciate that her daughter's into that stuff. Um, I gave a lecture wars number three at 8.0. It was uh, a story about the, the tournaments, they have races of people fighting for each other to keep the, pe- the races alive. I thought it was some interesting to learn about the characters and. Learn about the the leader that's controlling the Gladiator Warriors. Um, I gave Hawkman number eight, uh, eight point five. I really did want to talk about this issue, but I didn't get to because I want to talk about Shadow Man. This is a final issue. I didn't had to talk about Shadow Man. When I talked about this one. It deals with Hawkman, um, talking to his Kryptonian self and seeing what he. Experience Krypton, I give it an eight point five. Um House of Whispers number five. I forgot I noticed I forgot to put the numbers in there. Uh yes House of Whispers number five. Um, I gave it an eight It deals with uh the kids being captured by some demon and uh apparently one of the whispers fight it off and uh I noticed that, yeah, I just, I, I'm trying to remember, sorry, but I don't remember fully. Uh, I gave it an 8.0. I actually enjoyed it. Um, Scooby Apocalypse, I gave it 8.5. Apparently, I forgot to put the issue number there. But it does deal with, uh, Um, apparently, Freddy is back alive, and it deals with... Uh, um, Velma's brother and they f- they find out that they've been working with a lot of ways to cure the zombie virus and try to move forward. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Supergirl number 26, they gave it an 8.5 as well. You see her fighting uh, some type of Nazi person that wants to experiment her and she tries to escape and now she has to fight the soldier one of the generals that's there um the flash number 62 i gave it an 8.0 it deals with flash means psyche which is a guy from the Sage force we get to learn about him i thought that was interesting and apparently he was working for somebody else we find out and it was a i was thought it was a pretty interesting book um that's about it
0: Alright, cool. Uh, one thing that I wanted to mention that I didn't uh, get to mention is, and I can't remember who uh, who did you say. Uh, uh, so Kelly Thompson, you mentioned was the writer on Jessica Jones. She's also the writer who's uh, captaining uh, Captain um, Marvel uh, in her new, yeah, as well.
1: Oh, <laughs> um, um, I just, I just, this could be called Parkless Number Thirty Three. I just want to mention. All right, go ahead.
0: (laughs) Okay, uh, and for my honorable mentions, uh, I also scored Black Widow number one in 8.0, and so that made the honorable mentions list. We talked about Red Hood Outlaw number 30. That was a comic that I scored in 8.0 as well. Uh, Fantastic Four number six being written by Dan Slott. Joined this month on art by Aaron Cooter, who uh, I knew predominantly from his run on... Uh, on action, Comics. yeah,
1: action comics. I was going to mention that.
0: Yeah, no, I thought he was he was part of that great pack run, um, and I thought he was pretty awesome. Um,
1: yeah, I did like his art there. Yep,
0: yeah, and a pretty amazing cover by Isad Ribic. Uh, so, Fantastic Four number six, I scored an eight point five, and it was definitely strongly in the running to be my best thing that I read this week. Uh, and finally, the Batman Who Laughs number two by eight point five, the other comic that was in the running to be declared the best thing that I read this week. Uh, by scott snyder jock and david brown let's go ahead and move along and start running down our polls for next week it is a pretty lengthy list and we are uh trying to push on to get out of here so um batman number 63 immortal immortal hulk number 12 justice league number 16 star wars number 60 superior spider-man number two i'm very much looking forward to uh i am going to take a trip through antarctic press a uh third or fourth tier publisher, um, and check out some of their comics, Punchline number three, and William, the last, number four. Uh, Replacing, unfortunately, in my opinion, we'll maybe reserve some of that judgment until I actually read the comic, but replacing a series that has always been a big favorite of mine, Spectacular Spider-Man, is Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. Next week, we will see issue number two, and I will be picking that up in my stack. Uh, And Uncanny X-Men Annual number one, Shazam number two, Sideways number 12, Guardians of the Galaxy number one, and Lucifer number four. Steven, what are you going to be pulling next week?
1: Um, I'm going to be pulling Star Wars number 60, Justice League number 16, um, Outcast number 38, Uncanny X-Men annual number one, Shazam number two, Guardians of the Galaxy number one, Teenage Mutant number 90, Fairy Neighborhood Spider-Man number two, Superior Spider-Man number two, Sideways number 12, Man Without Free number four, um, Pearl n- number six, Lucifer number four, Freedom Fires number two, The Curse of Brimstone, annual number one, cover number five, um, Naomi number one, which is a Wonder Comics book, a new character for Bendis. Um American Carnage number three, uh Crypts of Shadows number one, which is a uh, one of Marvel's old books that they apparently relaunched is a one shot. And Live Wire number two from Valiant, Teen Times Gold number thirty two. And another Marvel book that Marvel is doing one shots of is War is Hell Number One. That's about it. All
0: right, well thanks so much everybody for joining in on this episode of What's Your Issue. This has been episode number fifteen, uh, recounting our opinions and views on the comics that shipped the last new comic book day on the 16th of January coming up the next new comic book day on the 23rd of January, where we will be reading the books that we just ran down on our pull list. If you have any questions for us or have comics that you want us to check out, please hit us up on the Twitter account uh, at E2KG network. Uh, you can find Steven Laura under ultimate awesomeness uh, in various places, various places in social media uh, and look for the podcast, submitted uh, under his brand on iTunes. Um, under the E2KG brand, you can find the uh, episode on uh, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Pocket So thanks so much for joining in, everybody. It was a jam-packed week full of comics. It'll be another jam-packed week next week. On behalf of the E2KG network and Mr. Stephen Laura, thanks uh, for listening in. Take care of yourselves, and good night. We are out of here. All
1: right.